0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Alan Matthews. He's an experienced mining executive with over 40 years um, experience working executive roles within the industry. So he ha- obviously has a wealth of uh, wealth of experience in the industry. Um, he graduated from the Campbell School Mines in 1974 um, and spent the next half century glow trotting around the world from mine sites as f- far flung as Peru, Papua New Guinea and many other places Um, with this Alan decided to write a book of his career named Overseas and Underground Ventures of a Modern Cornish Miner and we're going to have a chat about uh, about the book um, and dig deeper into Alan's career uh, and see what we can learn um, see what we can learn from his experiences um, and hopefully you the audience um, can take some bits away from Alan's experience um, and possibly help you in your own career. So that's welcome, Alan, to the podcast. How you doing, Alan?
1: Great, thanks very much, Rob. Um, really appreciate the opportunity to be able to address your audience.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate your time. And obviously, as I mentioned, you've just uh, recently wrote a book, um, which we're going to uh, shortly. But wondered if you can, um, and obviously I just summarized, uh, made a summary there of uh, of your career, but I wondered if you can give our audience a little bit of background about your obviously 40-year career. Um, I'm wondering if you could just give us a snapshot of um um obviously from when you graduated to sort of present day.
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so when when I graduated, I went out to South Africa with my wife. Uh, that was in 1974. Um, worked on uh, the gold mine there, Freddie's Consolidated, which was uh, not in velcom it was just outside of velcom where most of the school of mines and royal school of mines graduates were we did a uh, three years there um got my, my manager's certificate and i i didn't feel like progressing through the anglo uh system so got another job came back to cornwall and uh deviated then slightly uh going into the oil business because at the time uh 77 78 uh, mining was uh, in a bit of a slump and uh i went back to the school of mines and uh tony bachelor who sadly passed away here last year recommended i i should go and work for uh, one of the oil serv- service companies so that done i jumped on the plane and went to uh to Poe in uh, France, uh, trained as a service engineer there. Uh, from there, uh, we were shipped out to Abu Dhabi and spent 12, 14 months there. Um, that was pretty tough. Uh, it was uh, on on the rig most of the time. I was fortunate enough, uh, at one time to be on the Ile de France and Ile de Amsterdam, which are two French rigs, and uh, they were the only two wet rigs in the, in the Gulf, so we always had a glass of wine at uh, at uh, dinner time, because uh, I doubt the French would have carried on working if they didn't have that. Yeah, so um, from there, we went to Greece, um, to a small underground Bayrite mine, um, which was a challenge. <laughs> uh people would break into the explosive store and uh use the uh, dynamite for fishing off the coast uh anyway you know, that sort of thing went on quite often um so there was there was about two years there and then I was transferred to Scotland to uh assist in the uh, bringing into production the the Foss mine uh, just above And Aber, uh, we were there for I think it was three three years yeah or more That was good, Um, again, you know, in a career, often it happens that uh, you get to the stage where you're about to ready to go into production and and, then either the the market falls out, the the bottom of the market falls out for uh, bayright in this this instance or gold or whatever it is. So we were put on to care and maintenance and yeah, didn't sort of suit me very well. So then now, we went uh, to we no, Papua New Guinea. Uh, I initially went out there. I thought it was gonna be uh, assisting small miners in uh, uh, developing their projects, but it turned out that was to be the inspector of mines for um, for the giant Oktedi uh, copper mine, copper gold mine um, based on site. So we were, Thousands of kilometers. Well, sorry, not thousands. At least a thousand kilometers away from civil, civilization. There was nothing up there. There was a town, and that was it. Um, and at the time, the the, uh, the, uh, the company were in dispute with the uh, with the government, and I was the only government res- representative on site. Uh, so that was a difficult situation. Um, but we got through it well, yeah, once one stage I actually had to close the entire mine and everybody was laid off for six weeks so we weren't very popular at the time uh, so from Papua New Guinea where do we go oh yeah we went to uh, British Columbia uh, started working um, f- uh, for a couple of entrepreneurs on the Dolly Varden uh, project which is an old mine um, um we were we were uh, in the process of trying to uh, explore and find new new ore bodies associated with it. that that was a, a good move. I enjoyed that. And then uh, one of the guys that I met in uh, Papua New Guinea that was running the Octeddy, Roy Shipes uh, was in the process of uh, starting his company, which um, was dealing with SXEW copper projects that he had in Tucson, Arizona. So he asked me to come down and be a project manager for those. Um, so we got uh, Johnson Cap going, which was one of the first SXEWs to be put in production, I think by a junior. I think that's the way to put it. Um, so we were the darling of the stock, it VSE or TSX at the time. Um, then again, that got taken over by another uh, group, um, Breakwater. In fact, we took over Break- Breakwater. Um, so I was shipped down to Honduras on occasions to go down there. Uh, and then I met a, another entrepreneur in Phoenix. And he said, well, kid, you better you, you better uh, come and work for me. I can see you're not happy down there. So I so, said, okay. So um, he had a couple of small VSE companies, which I sort of ran for him. And... Uh, And I thought, actually, you know what, I can do this. Um, So I got a bunch of friends together, um, got some seed capital together and uh, listed Kernow Resources and Developments Limited on on the uh, Vancouver Stock Exchange as it was then. Um, Raised a few bucks, drilled a few holes, had a lot of fun, uh, and then moved uh, over to Portugal to manage one of the projects that we'd acquire over there, which was the, the Gels uh, Gold Mine. And it had been closed about six or seven years prior to my getting uh, the license there. And so then I was trying to develop that, uh, develop the oil reserves by, through drilling, uh, doing a little bit of editing, uh, doing a little bit of off, off property exploration as well. Um, and then at the same time I was a director for international minerals and they asked me to come down to uh, come back actually to Phoenix and work in their offices there and I worked there for a while uh, going down to Ecuador um, which was an adventure in itself Um, and it Eventually, we, we we realized that being in Ecuador was not a sensible thing to be, be doing at that time. Uh, the government had um, taken by proxy one of our exploration properties, which was quite valuable. And we saw no future in progressing with uh, developing the projects we had there. So I had the, the grand task again, again of closing, closing the oper- operations down there, which we did. And then that company was taken over again. And by this time, I was I was doing a little bit of consulting here and there as well. So um, after that, I'm just checking my checking my list here. Rob, to make sure where I'm at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly, so,
0: you've certainly been well traveled. So uh, yeah, I imagine yeah, we might so, have missed a few a few countries off.
1: Yeah, but then 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 we. You know, we moved back to Cornwall. So I was, I was doing some consulting at the same time. I was going to Armenia, Tajikistan, Spain, Bolivia. You know, yeah, So, so there, there, basically there it is. Um, it's been a lot of fun.
0: Lot of yeah, fun. Oh, I can imagine. So um, uh, there's one question I want to ask. I get a lot of graduate. I speak to quite a few graduates who are looking to basically, uh, they're either graduated or about to graduate and they're looking at their options. And sometimes, especially if they're especially if they're, I suppose, from the Campbell School of mines here in the UK, there seems to be limited options for them. And they ask me for my advice. Um, and I do, and, and my advice is really go and explore the world. Um some may be up for that, some may not be. Um obviously, you're someone that's been well travelled. What would you, if some, obviously the the candidates that are um, up for going and exploring, that's fine. They're probably, they're just asking for a little bit more advice, but what advice would you give to graduates that are on the fence or maybe a little bit, how can I put it? They, they don't, I suppose they don't know the unknown and, and they may, they may be, not not even sitting on the fence. Not even really focusing on going any going around the world, um, yeah. or even going to one place around the world. It doesn't have to mean traveling around the world, but even going to another country. What what advice can you give them to maybe give a little bit of encouragement and to maybe think about uh, looking at traveling traveling abroad and going and work on a mine site and. Um, and what what it's obviously done for you making that first step.
1: Yeah, um, I guess the f- first thing is, uh, I, it, it it is a big move. And I, I think probably the first thing you do is to do, do some research on the, A, the country you're going to. And if you have got a, a, an offer or if you have, even went at the interview stage, make absolutely sure that the company that you're going to work for is reputable. And that quite, well, not often, but a few times have been in the position where you've said, uh, been to an interview and the guys have said, oh, you're just a chap uh, we need and so on and so forth. And then doing a little due diligence, you find out that it's been a front for something, you know, and quite often you'll, you know, I've seen it happen to a couple of other people. So they've, they've gone out, um, they have become the fall guy because they they were in the front there. So do the research. Do the research on the company. Do the research on the on the country as well. Um, and also, if you have a partner, make absolutely sure that both of you want to to go, because there's nothing worse than being in Peru or you know some some place where where, where you're not happy. Especially in a mining camp, because that can, you know, it's so small and everybody knows what's going on and that. So, yeah. So do your research on the country as well. And if if you are going to go, I would advise uh, trying to to get under your belt another language. You you know, Spanish, for example, or some something other than English. So that at some stage you may be able to, it might become useful. Um, yeah, um, but. I would say also, having said that, I would encourage young person, people to take up a, a career in mining overseas because you're going to experience all sorts of new and exciting uh, landscapes and people. Excuse me, characters. Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, key I think is research.
0: Yeah, and I suppose obviously th- this this podcast is is um global so this may not necessarily um be appropriate for certain for instance if you're from canada from australia south africa um where you have got a big industry on on your doorstep but somewhere for like the uk that doesn't um if you don't if you don't consider an opportunity abroad then your then your opportunities are going to be limited so Again, from your experience, if you didn't make that first move abroad, how would you how would you have seen your career develop?
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, well, let's, let's go back to 1974 when, you know, Wheel Jane was just about going, I think. Uh, I'd done a few summers at Pandavas, the Tim Mine just outside of Camborne. I think there were opportunities in the extractive industry that could have been uh, seized, if you will. Um, English China Clays, i would worked for them before I went to the School of Mines. They were uh, operating. I guess the other thing is, is the coal mining industry. It's it's quite, well, it was then quite prolific. Um, so that's where I mean I would probably plump to go to stay in Cornwall and go on to one of the tin mines, Givor, Wheel Jane, uh, and or uh, English China Clays. Um, and then also, there were, I think, there was some stuff going on um, in Bulby uh, in Northumberland. So that, that was where I've been looked, but I I understand now that a lot of school mines graduates are in tunneling uh hs2 and you know for the channel uh, tunnel at one time as well so that would have been an opportunity i don't think i think if you really want to stay in mining and you want to stay in the uk then you can then you can do stuff i mean you know you could become a broker or an analyst you know make lots and lots of money
0: <laughs> but do you think it's good to get that site exposure before you move into those types of roles absolutely yeah.
1: absolutely because yeah you, you've got to know a little bit of what you, you're you're talking about and uh, you can learn an awful lot from books but and you can tell you know if you're going in to raise money sometimes you can tell the chaps that haven't actually done anything other than sat behind a desk you meet them you think oh okay that, that's that's fine uh, but you know it, it, it doesn't take very long to figure out the um, this chap really hasn't gotten a huge amount of experience. yeah. So yes, yeah. Uh, absolutely, you, you do need at least three or four years, I think.
0: Yeah. So let's go on and obviously talk about the book. Um, I wonder if you can just give us an overview of the book, but also what made you decide to write the book?
1: Uh, yeah. What made me decide to write the book? was I had over the years made notes um about various places I've been. Um, one particular uh, example or, or or session was do uh, you may or you may not remember Alistair Cook who used to write a letter from America and we used to listen to it on the World service and so on. And uh, when we moved from uh, the states to Portugal, but I get an awful lot of questions about, you know, what are you doing, how's life there and so on. So I just sort of wrote a, a diary uh, about what we were doing, the fun and games I had with the government, how the project was progressing. And I send it out, I think there was about 14 episodes and I used to email them to people and i get feedback and so on. So that sort of formed the basis of it. And then I started looking back through my notes and I thought, oh, okay, this is, this is okay. I, you know, these, are, these just need a little bit of touching up and we can make a, make, make a book out of this. So when we moved here, fortunately, next door is a published author who has her own um, publishing company. So I mentioned this. She said, well, let me have a look at some of them and I'll see what we can do. So he looked at them and said, yeah, this this dish will make a good book. Um, so then she she edited, um, suggested uh, different chapters and so on. Um, did a lot of fact-checking. Come back to me and said, this isn't right. And oh, oh. <laughs> Which is a bit of a surprise when you, you, you sort of think, oh, yeah, to have somebody else fact check on you, and yeah, um, so that's that's how it sort of evolved, um, and it's it's been an awful lot of fun, it really has. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So I suppose any anyone in, well, I suppose it can be any career. It doesn't have to be the mining career, but anyone in a in a in a career should, I suppose, keep a journal. And it's something that I haven't done, and I keep meaning to do, but you've proved uh, by by keeping a journal even just scribbling a notes, notes down when you do it daily weekly um you can you're gonna produce obviously you can produce a book from that um and I, I have heard the saying that there's a book in everyone that they can write a book um and you've just obviously uh, obviously um, demonstrated that. So I'm wondering if you can just give us an overview of, of what um the, the book is actually about.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. So I guess at the end of the day, it's just a record of of, of my travels and my travels with my wife overseas. Um, there are also a couple of uh, fictional chapters um, and a poem. Uh, so I've tried to make it funny. Yeah. You know? um, tried to make it interesting. Um so it's that that that's about it. I mean, it was, it was just a lot of fun writing it and uh, and, and I started one of, one of the chapters really sort of brought home to me what what we were doing I went over to uh, the United States when I was a student to uh, the Silver Valley, uh, Northern Idaho.. Um, as I was writing that, I dredged up all sorts of memories, (laughs) which which some were good and some were not so good. But so, yeah.
0: Um, And what feedback have you had so far from from people that have read it?
1: Well, yeah, I've had two comments posted on on Amazon. Uh, Both were glowing, I might say that. Yeah. Uh, And I had a, a... an email from one of uh, one of my contemporaries who who's also an author and has done three or four books, but they've been pure fiction books. Uh, and he said it was well written, intriguing, uh, and those. You know, I had a book launch in, on December the fourth and invited uh, about forty people, uh, and they went went through the whole thing. Uh, so it was it was pretty good, yeah. And of course the family looked at, it. oh well, we didn't know you know you'd done this, or we didn't know that you'd done that, sort of thing. So yeah, it's good, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean it must be an obviously accomplishment um writing a book and then you get obviously people giving you feedback like that, and like you said, your family asking um curious as to knowing a little bit more about yourself. So um, no, I bet that's obviously um something to be proud of. Um, is there, I mean, is there any, is there anything else from the book you would like to highlight? Um, I mean, is there any particular examples or situations or challenges you found, um, that you found yourself in and you resolved? So obviously something, something that you've learned, uh, that you, that you had a challenge and you over, overcome.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I sort of thought, thought about that a little bit and. One of the one of the times when I was consulting, um, I went. That was in Armenia, and we were about 350k from uh, the capital, right down on the uranium border. And it's the first time I've been to the mine, and I'd been asked to look at it for a client. So we got down there. Um, we had to wait for about two hours for a translator to come. So I'm sitting there, had no Russian other than yes, well, nyep and da and piba, which is beer, very important. Um, so we're sitting there and they were asking questions. I I had no idea. And eventually we decided, oh, chai, yeah, right. I know what that is, tea. So we had some tea. The translator arrived. So we then go to the, to the site. Wow. Uh, it was appalling. It really was. Uh, the mill was in such a state. There were there were no safety guards anywhere. Some of the holding down bolts on on, on the mill shaft had come loose. So every time the mill went round, it shaped the, the building and the and the plinth. And the boom, boom. Um, there had been no stripping done for, for many years, so the pit was in. Uh, it was a really confined space so we got back to to the mine, mine office and uh, the director's typical Russian style he's got a great big table in front of him and his minions sort of lined on a on, on a table just down from him and I'm at the end of the other table so through the translator he says well what did you think and I thought to myself okay I'm 350k from Yerevan, uh, I know nobody. I don't know the language. Uh, what's going to happen if I give a bad report right now? Is he going gonna to blow up? You know, a volatile Russian. He was a big bear of a man. Uh, what's they going to Maybe they'll send the driver away and I'll have to walk back. Well, how the hell am I going to get out of here? I said, well, be very careful on what you say. So I thought about I said, okay, well, director, I have been to your mind and i congratulate you on your ability to produce concentrate with the equipment that you have here and that sort of satisfies his honor and i didn't have to lie so we had we had more tea and more vodka and so honor was, was satisfied yeah yeah um another time i i was going to the same mine and uh we couldn't get over the mountain because it's on the other side of the Caucasus. So the driver, again, I don't, you know, I didn't speak any Russian or Armenian and it's just he and I, I knew at least I knew him. So we went, we went up to the mountain pass and it was blocked Uh, We did that three times came back down and then next day he jumped in the car and we went almost back. No, we went back towards the Eurovan. Uh, he dived off down this side road, and off we went down there. And there were some really big potholes, and uh, the, the the buildings looked like they'd been raised. So we eventually get down to the river that separates um, uh, Armenia from Iran. Managed to get down to the mine. So I'm talking to the translator, and I said, "You know, that was a really strange road that we went down." there. Oh yes, he said, "Engineer," he said. Uh, that that's the the border between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and it's been in dispute for many years. And those craters you saw they weren't the potholes; they they were bomb craters. Uh, oh well, thanks. Let's make sure we go back over the mountain and not that way. <laughs> yeah. So there's, I mean, and there's quite a few other examples of that as well.
0: Yeah. No, and and obviously um, we'll, we'll speak about later about how you can purchase. But, but again, a lot of examples that I suppose you've gone through that anyone that's going to be working abroad um, overseas may encounter. So um, hopefully you've given some examples for people that may, once they've read the book, may face certain situations. Um, and there's obviously ways in, in dealing with that. Um, yeah. You're, Your expertise is in establishing and starting up uh, of companies in either exploration or mining projects. Um, What advice can you give our audience uh, of some of the pitfalls that you see with companies that haven't been successful um, and what lessons can they learn?
1: Yes, uh, there are a couple of pitfalls. Um, One that I encountered a few times now is... The hotel, what I call the Hotel California syndrome. Um, and it's, you know, you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. And establishing a, a, a company in the foreign jurisdiction can sometimes be easy, sometimes be difficult. But in most of the Latin countries I've worked in, and the same in uh, some of the Near Eastern countries as well. It's very very difficult to close a company, um, particularly when, excuse me, you have uh, pension schemes in in place. Um, so beware of, of the liabilities that 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 you are going to create. Uh, make sure you plan for them because a lot of play, people have. Started these com- uh, companies in and thought that they were doing well, and then whatever goes wrong, and then you're left with a huge uh, overhang uh, on on your responsibilities towards the people that you employed and to uh, to the government as well. So, yeah. so just make sure when you you start, you know how you're going to get out. One thing is to respect the local hierarchy. You know, the guys in the, the Department of Mines and uh, uh, and those geologists, engineers, etc., that are in, in country and uh, listen to them. I've always listened to them um, and taken advice from them. And again, I think, and it's something um, to seek early engagement with with the the local communities. Uh, and, and again, find out where the power lines within those those local communities, because there's a lot of, in Europe, uh, um, especially in Southern Europe, a lot of um, power has been devolved to municipalities. So it, even though the government might want you to come in and work, uh, you've got to make sure that the local community wants you there. So, yeah, be careful when you start out. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, just make sure you know what what the liability is going to be at the end of the day yeah
0: yeah um you've obviously seen the industry develop over a number of different years. Um, what would you say some of the positive uh, positives there are from from what you've seen over your 40 to 50 year career?
1: I think the first thing I would say is that we now as an industry as far as I can see take much more notice of stakeholders we we're much more inclusive and i think you know if you look back over the problems a lot of people have, uh, uh, have had in the past because they haven't really gotten in touch with and uh, and considered the the stakeholders now i see that changing a lot also uh I, th- I think digital mining is is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, from from a, doing planning on, on on literally sheets of paper in a South African gold mining, saying okay, we're going to going to mine this panel, that panel, and then sticking it up on a board and calling that mine planning. To you know, everything is now done digitally. Um, a- again, you still got to be a little bit careful. You know, not to rely on totally on, on mine planning um yes. and then uh remote mining as well uh, you know um instance Well, there's a couple of mines in finland i think now that that barely have anybody underground you know all, all the work's done by by remotely um, lhds mucking machines drilling the whole nine yards obviously there's there's some stuff so that that's a great improvement I think to, to lower the risk in our in our environment yeah
0: and how do you see the the future of mining um I suppose from what you've just mentioned obviously the technology but also the industry as a whole um obviously I interview a number of guests on the show uh and one of the big issues is obviously the the branding of mining the brand of mining and obviously non mining people think have this perception of mining being dirty um not environmental friendly etc um how do you see the, the the future of mining from I suppose a few different aspects
1: well i guess you know mining is going to be around for forever i mean it's it's one of the pillars of society. If we're going we need resources and the key for me is education. And the first way the, the best way to do that is to get hold of the children, you know the young children, and explain to them and uh, get them involved in the, in, in the industry to, uh, at an early stage. Now at the, the King Edward mine here in, in, in Cornwall, uh, just outside of Camborne. Um, they run a, a school mining games every year, and they teach. Well, they they compete. About eight schools compete in games. Um, the games are um, separation using magnets and iron filings, so, so they can see how one one would use uh, magnetic separation, and then panning. So they do panning, then they do, uh, sawing. So they you know. To do an exercise with sawing and shoveling and that. So, really integrate them. Now, I've done a couple of those, and uh, it's amazing how the attention and the enthusiasm that, that's within those kids. And these are sort of Form 8, yeah, uh, Form 8 people. So. I think as an industry we have to do that, and you're so right. I mean, we look at the Cambridge School of Mines now is struggling to maintain uh, its mining engineering uh, division, uh, or it, you know, its graduate uh, sorry, its BSc course, which I, I find terrible. But and I think that's because of branding. I think again, it's like oh do we really want to be associated with mining? With yeah. lots of geology courses, lots of courses about rare earths, lots of courses about new metals, but no courses on how to, um, how, how to mine them. Uh, so yeah, ha- I think you know the, the academics of the world really really need to know or to wake up to the fact that we need to, we, we still need miners.
0: Yeah, certainly. It's a that's the biggest challenge, and I think there is there is moves to overcome some of that, but it's gonna it's a long process. But as a recruiter, I can see big challenges in the future, um, in the near future, or near to medium term future. Um, in obviously with all the the projects around the world and operations wanting to expand. Um a lot of these projects and operations are going to be hindered by the lack and amount of skilled people, i.e. like mine engineers, like mine geologists, um moving forward. So yeah, it's something the industry is aware of and I think them they are making uh moves to to change that. Um, but it obviously just takes time.
1: Yeah, I was going to say my I, I, I young nephew who's who's desperate to get into mining. And you know what what he's done, good for him. Is he's 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 taken on an apprenticeship in in South Crofty, and he went. You know, I can't find anywhere in the UK where I can get a degree. Was, so, yeah, it, it strikes home when you know one of your nephews is trying to follow you in footsteps, if you will, and. Uh, He can't. He can't do it. Shame.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so so I mean, I suppose the other options could be distant learning, or he goes overseas to overseas university.
1: Yeah. Um. One of my friends made the suggestion that he quarrying to start, and then goes back back to the school of Mines if he wants to do because they do masters in in, in mining engineering. So that's one way around that we looked at. Yeah, and like you say, you could go overseas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, just obviously concluding, um, wondered if you wanted to add anything else. Also, um, how can people purchase the book Overseas and Underground Adventures of a Modern Cornish Miner? Obviously the book that you've uh, recently uh, recently produced.
1: No, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to, to, to come on your show. Um, and uh, I've, I've always taken Mining International. Um, so it's it's good to be with you. Um, to to purchase the book, um, Amazon. Uh, dot, dot, co. Dot Uk. Uh, I haven't got it in the shops yet. Um, it's available in the ebook, book uh, hard hardback, um, paperback, and uh, as I say, Amazon, Waterstones, Barnes and Noble, um, Apple. I um, so. Yeah, if you just Google it, 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 the Amazon site will come come up right away.
0: Yeah, certainly we we can include that in the show notes. The company, so people can click on that and um, either download it or or purchase it via Amazon. Um, so um, yeah, encourage uh, the people out there that are listening to this um, appreciate you if you can um, have a look and and purchase the purchase the book. Um, it's a pretty low cost low cost book. Um, and if you can share this episode uh with others in the industry um so they can obviously listen listen to this podcast but also and then uh, have to look to purchase the purchase the book um i'm i haven't read it myself yet i will su- surely will do um but it will give an insight to someone that's worked in the industry for 40 plus years has traveled the world seen many things experienced many cultures um because it can resonate with you if you're looking to to possibly work overseas so um really appreciate your time Alan um obviously uh, a a friend mutual friend Nick Clark obviously uh, suggested that I uh, reach out to you and um and get you on the show so um yeah so th- thank you to him wish you well in the in, in the book um and what else apart from obviously promoting the but what else are you actually doing? Uh, at the moment, are you doing anything within the industry? Uh,
1: I have one client that uh, I keep in touch with and occasionally he just, he he seeks advice, I think would be the way to do it. And I've been involved with his project for, I don't know, 15 years and turned it around a couple of times and he's making money from it. And occasionally there's problems crop up. So I do that for him. Um, do a little bit of uh, mineral collecting around here in Cornwall, uh, and uh, generally just try and relax a little bit. <laughs> yeah,
0: so even after 40 or 50 years of uh, in the industry, it, it never leaves you?
1: Absolutely not, no. It's, and I, you know, being Cornish, I'm from and from it, it, it really Camborne, is, it is in the blood, I'm afraid. Well, not afraid, I'm happy to say it's in the yeah. blood. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I wish you well. Uh, with the book, the success. I um, really appreciate you coming onto the show and uh, um, sharing your your wealth of experience. Um, and hopefully, uh, the people that uh, are listening and have listened to this episode um, get take something from it. And also, hopefully, they they look at purchasing the book. So, wish you well for for the um, for the future. Um, and until next time, happy mining! Thank you for listening.